not even rock bottom. I'm like several feet below rock bottom. And if this is my baseline and I accept that this is my baseline, can I now forge a pathway out of this? Welcome to the Emotional Compass. This is Bodhi. And Abiel. <laughs> Bringing on the energy. Abielito. Abiel. <laughs> <laughs> so I came across this book when we were reading the previous one, which was The Confidence Gap. Um, along the same time, I came across this book called Emotional Agility by Susan David. And it turned out that, I mean, it was just a coincidence that this book is also built upon the theories that are in the ACT theory, which was what Confidence Gap was based on, which ACT theory is basically Stephen Hayes' work, which is uh, acceptance and commitment theory. And... Uh, the, you know, it's like we were discussing that we've started to see a lot of these themes and patterns emerge in all of these books because by now we've reviewed so many books or rather, let me say, we've experienced so many books that we start to see all these patterns emerge and a lot of them have kind of like similar messages, but with uh, different anecdotes or different stories and different research that they've found and they tell it from their own little point of view and their own little experience, you know. And Susan David came up with this concept called emotional agility where she's talking about not being rigid with your emotions, not being fixed in your thinking because depending on how life ebbs and flows, you have to go you know, for the lack of a better word, go with that flow. Because if you don't go with that flow, guess what happens? You get thrown overboard and you're in the water suddenly and gasping for air and screaming for help, you know, or you end up drowning, which is even worse. And then someone else has to come rescue you. I think I took that metaphor far enough. But you get what I'm trying to say, you know, it's like you can't be rigid in the way you respond to life. You have to be more dynamic and flexible in your thinking and your acting and in your behaviors, especially in your thinking. And you were, you were saying something earlier about thinking and responding and thought. Yeah. My, so I think that all these, all these concepts that we have been studying are great. And the analogy I was giving earlier was that just like a song that is composed of two, three, four, five chords with, you know, their verses and their bridges and their chorus, I feel like a lot of these theories are the same. You're going to have songs you like better than others. But in the end, is this song that you're playing is something that you like. You know, we got songs that are dark. We got songs that are violent. We got songs that are happy. And I feel like this book encompasses a lot of the good theories that are out there in regards to dealing with yourself, becoming aware, creating value, um, accepting, um, knowing what is it that 
matters the most to you so you could create a life where you respect yourself and not create those patterns uh, around other people's ideas, but yours. And it all adds up for me as to how to live a life where you could deal with yourself and be your best friend. Because in the long run, you're going to have stimuli and that stimuli could be visual. It could be all your senses, auditory, um, taste, all of them. But in the long run is how you interpret that stimuli and what you focus on that will determine your reality. So I love the book. I think she has a great collection of things, but I still love Michael A. Singer's view of, you know, those are your thoughts. They're not who you are. Become aware of the things that you are aware by not putting that much emphasis or focus on what your thoughts are saying and take them for what they are. And the book itself was very interesting because it was like, you're going to have negative thoughts. You're going to have positive thoughts, but they're just thoughts. So I think that's where your meditative practice comes along that we've talked about a billion times because when you start doing that, all of a sudden your, your ability to recognize what you're focusing on changes the game because all of a sudden you're like, oh, I'm focused on my balance or I am focused on my thoughts or I am focused on the smells that are coming out of that coffee pot or I am focused on the TV. But just having the ability to move your consciousness spotlight from thing to thing will make your life a lot easier. Just Know that you're holding the flashlight, your consciousness flashlight, and you're the one that's putting the emphasis on that thing that's disturbing you, and you have the ability to walk away or to change that spotlight to wherever you want to have it. And I think I went a little too deep into the metaphors of your awareness and what reality is, but to me, it's just more, it's a lot more simple than the book. But what I like about the book. It gives you so many awesome tools to be able to cope with yourself and with life. So, yeah, I don't and, know. That's, and that's a perfect segue. I actually wanted to talk about some of these tools, you know, and some of the things that they talk about in the book are recognize your patterns. So, if you feel like you keep having the same results in your life, you know, like the definition of, what is the definition of insanity? It's doing the same thing over and over again, expecting a different outcome or expecting a different result. And if you want a different result, then you have to change your thinking, which means that you A, have to realize what your patterns even pattern of thinking is, you know, if you're faced with the same situation over and over again, and your thinking is always the same, which means your reaction to that situation is always the same, then you're going to have the same outcome. It's a guarantee. But if you change your thinking, then you can possibly have a different outcome. Um, one, one of the, the things that she said, which is part, this, I think this is all part of act theory where you label your thoughts and emotions. So instead of like, and we've, we've talked about this before too, like if you're feeling angry, instead of identifying with the anger, disassociate yourself from that anger and say, I'm feeling angry instead of saying, 
I'm angry, you know? So you create that little breathing room between you and that anger. There's the acceptance of thing, right? Not acting on every thought or resigning yourself to every negativity. Like, yes, there's going to be ups. There's going to be downs. But when you are down, accept where you are at. But don't don't end up dwelling in it because whatever life throws at you, whether it's good or bad, nothing lasts forever. Like, I know when I was going through shit last year, I mean, I get it. Like when I was clinically depressed, I thought this was it. This was going to end this way. This was the end of my life. I had no idea I'd be in the place that I am today. But it was the acceptance. All right, this is my baseline now. I'm not even rock bottom. I'm like several feet below rock bottom. And if this is my baseline and I accept that this is my baseline, can I now forge a pathway out of this? And, and so that's where the acceptance came in. The, the one that I love the most, and this also Confidence Gap had, and so does this book, Emotional Agility, which is, sorry, you want to say something? Yeah, I just wanted to say, um, add, add a little bit on acceptance, because if you keep going, then I'll forget. But to me, um, acceptance is like, have you ever seen the Chinese finger trap? I, I've heard of it. I've never seen it. So it looks like a little straw that you put one finger in and then you put the other finger out and you start pulling it. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I've seen that. Yes, 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 yes. So for me, acceptance is instead of pulling, it's recognizing that you have the little Chinese trap in order for you to not pull anymore and push in. So for me, acceptance is your ability to be still for once and contemplate and not to act or do anything about it. And just be with it. Acceptance brings you to a place of of observance instead of doing. Because a lot of the times it's not doing more, it's sometimes even doing less. So acceptance is that little that little moment, that gap between the inhale and the exhale, where you, where you're just you're just there. And there's a lot of magic with those quiet moments that you find yourself pondering and thinking. So just wanted to add that acceptance is not allowing abuse from abusive husband or abusive wife. Acceptance is just knowing and recognizing that you're in a place you want to change and, and being okay with changing it. That was it. That's oh, beautiful. I agree. Yeah, what, where I was going with that was the, the thing that I find most valuable in these last two books is acting on your values where, you know, you want to focus on the value, not the goal or the outcome. And like the most easiest example is, you know, if you, if you make it your value to eat healthy, then you are going to basically get to that body type or lose the weight or whatever your goal is eventually. Or it's going to, reaching that goal will be easier if your value becomes eating healthy. But if your goal is only to lose that 20 pounds and your value is not to eat healthy, your value is just to put whatever you feel like in your mouth, then it's going to be really 
an uphill battle to lose that weight. Or if your value is basically to, you know, be show up as the best version of yourself at work, then it does not matter what works put in front of you or how stressful it is because you're showing up as the best version of yourself. Yeah, the value is money. I think for me also, it's the difference between process goals and outcome goals. So in sports psychology, they talk about process goals and that's like your values, right? It's not about the score, it's about the journey that you're taking while you're executing that sport. And when you, when you get lost in that process of just in the beingness of things, it changes the whole dynamic. It brings more satisfaction. Instead of counting calories, all of a sudden you're realizing that the quality of food that you're putting in your system makes a huge impact, not only on, on yourself, but your environment. So now it enriches your life as well. And it reminds me of the work of what's that um, Holocaust survivor whose, whose values was what allowed him to survive. Victor Frankl. Victor Frankl. You just mentioned it. Man but that's search for meaning. Exactly. That's the same, that's the same premises. Yeah, she actually has a quote from Viktor Frankl in the book. Um, that's, that's a book we should probably experience one of these days. It's an amazing book. Um, two things that I still want to talk about in this book. One was, I wasn't aware of this guy. His name is James Pennebaker, and she mentioned it in the book, where he basically did a lot of research on journaling. Apparently, he was going through a really rough spot he was depressed and he was having trouble in his marriage. And he just started journaling all that stuff. And then he found like a few days later, he was feeling lighter, better. You know, his marriage started working again. So he spent his life doing research and work about like what it is about putting your thoughts to pen and paper that creates this magic, like basically kind of like unloads you. It's like this mental, I don't want to use the word vomit, but you know, it's like, you're basically just like throwing up on paper. You don't, you don't necessarily, it's not like coherent writing, right? It's just like you're putting your thoughts and then putting it on paper. And the brain is saying like, now I can forget it because you've actually like put it in permanent storage somewhere. So I don't need to like hold on to this stuff. And, um, I, I like, I'm, sorry, good. I like to call it the emotional discharge, just the same way um, when clouds are building up into the sky and you get all that water being sucked up because of the warmness of the day and all that creates this, this positive and negative and then through the lightning, it gets discharged. So I feel like we're the same way. We start collecting all these negative things and all these things that make us feel uncomfortable and then journaling is your lightning bolt. It's your idea, is your ability to discharge. Yeah, and honestly, like some of the most traumatic moments that I've been through in my life, I have naturally gravitated towards journaling. And like last year, I wasn't even writing stuff down. I was just recording myself. Like I would like take my phone out and I would just record myself saying all this stuff. Um, some of the recordings I still have, some I just deleted because I was like, I, I don't need to ever go back and look at this ever again. And it was very cathartic, very cathartic for me to voice out loud what was going on in my head 
just for myself. It's like that stark realization that these are actually the thoughts that are up in here, rolling around in here, which they shouldn't be. Like, I need to do something about this to turn this around. Or it would just like help me, like you said, it was a discharge. It was just like, it was a release. Um, in, in the book, they talked about this experiment that they conducted where all these guys, all these engineers in their 50s that they had been working for this company for like decades had been laid off. And so they had like two control groups, one where the, you know, the guys didn't have to do anything and the other group where they asked them to journal. And the people that ended up journaling were able to cope with this whole thing better. And they were also able to find a job a lot quicker than the people that didn't journal. So obviously there's something to this. Um, My personal take is that if you've never tried this before and you're going through a tough time, try it. Just get the cheapest book you can find and just write your thoughts. Wake up and write your thoughts for five minutes You'd never have to go back and look at this ever again. Just discharge your thoughts onto pen and paper. And that kinesthetic of like writing on a piece of paper is very, very important. I think that journaling for me is the the moment I put it in pen and paper. I see myself as the avatar, as as the little video game character. And I get an opportunity to realize that I, I'm way more than that little experience. And for once, I get to see the whole board and the whole game and strategize outside of my own thoughts and head. Because it's very easy to get wrapped up when those thoughts are happening inside. But for some reason, when you put those thoughts on paper, it gives you the perspective almost like from God's perspective, like this more holistic more relaxed, more like, oh, that's just a story and I could change it. So for me, it's like, you're no longer the the video game character, you're the video game player. I don't know if that makes sense, but that's how I see it. Yeah, that's that's beautiful. (laughs) You know, the character, the player, yeah, because you're, you're taking yourself out from that equation and now you create that awareness that you are playing this game rather than part of this game which is a huge distinction you're way more than that small experience that just happened to you you're way more than the job you just got laid off and a lot of times is you know when when the poop hits the fan right (laughs) when things seem the worst a lot of the times that's when the best aspects of yourself come out to play so maybe you're holding off that superhero power for that one moment you're start, you're about to get laid off or you're looking for a job and in the in the time being it's going to feel very uncomfortable you're going to feel very frustrated but like we all know that's part of your neuroplasticity that's part of you you know becoming more than you ever have been so if you're out there right now and you're struggling because you got laid off or you don't really have a job and you have you have a lot of pent up energy and frustration. That means you're in the right track. So congratulations, you're you're going somewhere. Believe it or not, you are going somewhere. 
Yeah, actually, this is a perfect segue into the last thing that I thought was pretty amazing was the positive thinking. And they mentioned that positive thinking can hinder emotional agility. And, you know, they, they did this test between two groups, one where, where they, were, they had like a year-long weight loss study, right? And one group of women were told to imagine themselves as like looking the best that they've ever looked a year after this whole weight loss program. And the other group of women were told like, hey, you're going to have problems. Like you're going to encounter obstacles during this program. And one of the biggest obstacles that you will encounter is that you will be tempted to cheat during the program. So after a year, after tracking these women, guess which group lost more weight? The ones that were allowed to cheat? Not that they were allowed to cheat, that they were told that you will be tempted to cheat. So that they were made aware of the obstacles. It wasn't just positive thinking. I think the ones that were aware. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Those were the people that lost more weight because they were more grounded in reality rather than just being like blindly optimistic that, hey, this is going to be great. And what she said was in the book that when you have this just like blind optimism or just this positive thinking, then it kind of tricks your brain into complacency. Like your brain thinks it's already there rather than saying like, hey, the road to there is going to be a little tough. So you better prepare yourself mentally that you will be faced with obstacles and it's your job to like, be okay with this, like, you know, get comfortable with the uncomfortable. This is the process. It's going to be, there's going to be discomfort in this process. So, so you're saying that if I, if I think in my head, I'm going to have a million dollars, I'm going to have a million dollars that might hinder my ability to do a lot of work so I could get the million dollars. Perfectly. Perfectly. Yeah. You know, she, she said, she put it as, when I say she, the, the author of the book, um, that it, positive fantasies let the fizz out of the bottle, dissipating the energies we need to stay motivated. That's such a brilliant analogy, you know? It's like, don't let the fizz out of the bottle. Let the fizz be there so you'll be motivated to keep going forward. Burr, 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 burr. <laughs> That was badass. I love that quote. <laughs> <laughs> that deserved an air horn right there. <laughs> there needs to be one. Seriously, that quote like really stuck out to me because I had never thought of it like that. And, you know, she mentioned like, it's like optimism combined by realism, which is called mental contrasting. So it's important to know that you can achieve your goal but you also need to pay attention to the obstacles that lie between you and that goal. You know, the, the road is not smooth. It's not paved. Like it's, it's a low road that you've never traveled before. So of course there's going to be issues. You might have a flat tire, get ready for that. They're saying how, um, 
when when teams are playing and the uh, opponents are are losing um i think it was in a in a situation where there's like fighting or like a boxers when the corner saying oh you got this you got this and he's clearly losing he's going to recognize it all oh, that's bs you know and it's actually going to hinder him because it's not going to make him feel good so there there's this really interesting balance between I'm doing great versus like, whoa, I better hunker down because I got I got some work to do before things are going to be okay. And one of the things I enjoyed also from the book, it was saying how, how negative thoughts are actually helping you because the blocking of these negative thoughts are not necessarily good for you because those negative thoughts have information that's good, that's going to help you. So it's not about having the negative thought. It's about being fixated into these negative thoughts and putting your place in helplessness. So I thought it was really interesting because her her whole take on negative thoughts is not not that they're good or bad. It's just there's just more information. What do you do with this information? It's what's important, which is based on your values, not so much on your outcome or on your goals. So I think wonderful stuff. Keep it going, buddy. No, that was actually the last point that I wanted to talk about, which was, you know, uh, mental contrasting, combining optimism with realism, which I found very fascinating. And, you know, I like that her approach is she'll give you an anecdote. She'll explain what the thing is and how you can apply it. And then she gives you all these like um, studies that were conducted to back the research, you know, behind what she's talking about. So it's not that she's just giving you these anecdotes and saying like, go on and practice this. She's like, no, we, we did conducted studies like a year long study. And this were these were the findings and this is where I'm basing all of this research on. So yeah, I, I, I thought the, the book had a lot of value and little nuggets of wisdom here and there. So I, I recommend reading it, even though if you've read The Confidence Gap, because you will find lots of intersections between the two books. And if anything, you will actually confirm and affirm a lot of the findings in both those books. And you'll probably be able to like take away something or solidify whatever you know between those two books. I couldn't agree more. If you're in in a situation where you need good coaching or you want to be able to have really good advice, not only for others, but especially for yourself, this book is a, a gold nugget. I think it's a, it's a great book. It's a good, it's a good find. Um, at first it seemed a little trivial because we've heard all these concepts before, but what's most interesting is she's coming from, um, from a university level. I think she's in Harvard, Harvard's, school and she's part of another university that very prestigious. So she, the best part about this book is not, it's not just her opinion is actual studies that she's done that prove all these beautiful nuggets to have worked wonderfully. So I do recommend it as well. Um, my only qualm is I still love Michael A. Singer. His, his breakdown of the whole thing just, trumps anything else that I've read out there. Not No knock on anybody, but his way of looking at things to me, it's way more simple and it's been way easier for me to apply it 
not to take away from this book. Yeah, I feel like Michael A. Singer's philosophy and theories are more on a macro level. And these give you like more zoomed in like day to day on how to deal with things. Yeah. You know, it's like, here are some of the tools you can use right away until you get to the Mike, Michael A. Singer's level, you know? A hundred percent. You just pinned that tail on that donkey. <laughs> <laughs> So that said, we're going to close it out for today. And uh, remember, we have an Instagram account and we would love to get your questions and answers about the questions we haven't asked. So if you do have a question, please ask. We love to uh, research. And if you want to collaborate with us um, and you'd like to be part of our podcast, please uh, throw us a shout out. Throw me a direct message on my, our Instagram account or shoot us an email at theemotionalcompass.com. Um, this is for you, um, from us, with love and a lot of acceptance. So till next time, this is uh, Abiel and Bodhi, The Emotional Compass.